Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 211. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and on the very last day of 2019, I'm recording the very first episode of 2020. So happy new year. By the time you hear this, it will already be 2020. And I want to thank you as always for your support. Thank you for over 115,000 downloads this month, which is Pretty sure that's a new record for Therapy Chat. And we've hit 926,720 downloads for the year. So almost a million this year, which is so cool. Obviously, that is totally because of all of you who listen. And I'm so, so grateful to all of you. So for today's episode, it's a little bit of looking back and a little bit of looking forward. I wanted to tell you about some really important things that I've learned this year that have really changed my life. And so many of you who listen have been kind of walking along with me as this has been happening. And I've been sort of hinting and talking in the background in vague ways about what's been happening in my life. So I'm going to go into a little bit more detail in this episode. 
The first part of today, I'm going to talk about my health, my physical health, which is, of course, related to my emotional health, because we are not separate beings. We are mind, body, and spirit all in one. And I wanted to talk with you about what I discovered about my health this year and how it's changed things for me and how I'm doing. I have a new perspective on my health and my life because of things that have happened this year, both with my health and a new understanding and experience with grief this year. As I've mentioned in a few of the episodes toward the end of 2019, grief will definitely be something that I'm going to be exploring in more depth in 2020. I guess you could say grief and death and how death fits in to our lives. My new perspective comes from the experience I had of facing the impending death of one of my most important attachment figures this year, one of my parents. And, you know, it's not my first brush with death and losing someone who's very important to me. So there's grief and then there's loss. I've experienced a lot of loss in my life. And with that, there's a lot of grief, difficulty letting go, which is a theme of my life, I think, is just to begin to, I don't even want to say feel comfortable with, but I would say to begin to be able to let go and know that all will be well. It's really a lesson that I've had to really face up to this year in a new way. I think all of the ways I've been growing through my life, like all of us, have given me a different perspective on loss, grief, and letting go. And that perspective is continuing to evolve and will continue to evolve, I'm sure, throughout my whole life until I die, But which I hope will be a long time from now. But I want to share with you what I have learned because I think it's been very powerful for myself and I hope that it will give you something to think about too. And I want to talk with you about what's ahead for Therapy Chat in 2020, what's happened in 2019, and what's coming. One great thing in 2019 for Therapy Chat was that so many of you became Patreon members. And I'm really grateful for that because it it lets me know that you do value this podcast. You know, I know there's so many podcasts out there and the fact that you choose to spend time listening to this one is something that I'm eternally grateful for. And like I said about the number of downloads, there's no way that this podcast would exist if all of you weren't listening and telling people about it and enjoying it and learning from it. I'm certain that four years in, I would have given up if nobody was listening by now. (laughs) So thank you to all of you who've supported Therapy Chat on Patreon. And please know that in 2020, I hope to do a better job of connecting with all of you through Patreon and um, creating opportunities for Patreon members to have special access. Because I'll say more about that in a minute, but Another great thing that's happened for Therapy Chat this year is our partnership with Therapy Notes. As an annual sponsor, they really helped keep Therapy Chat sustainable. Even though support from Patreon members 
is fantastic and very important without the additional support from our sponsor. I don't know if I would have been able to keep it going this year. And I'm grateful to share that they've continued to sponsor us again this year. And that will allow much more to happen for Therapy Chat than has been done in the past. So I'm going to talk more about what's coming up for Therapy Chat a little later in this episode. So to start off with, I'll tell you about my health. So in 2019, I did level one of embodied recovery training, which is the Rachel Lewis Marlowe and Paula Scatalone training that you heard them talk about back in, I think, 2018, and they will be back in 2020 to talk about it again. And in addition to that, I completed level two of sensory motor psychotherapy training, which you've been hearing me talk about, of course, for years. Both of those trainings are highly experiential and involve getting in touch with trauma and attachment wounds held in the body, how to work to resolve the ways that our bodies are impacted by both, quote, shock trauma, you know, traumas that involve violence and injury, and attachment trauma, the more difficult to identify unmet attachment needs that basically our bodies and our identities form around, beginning with birth and even in utero. And the main big thing I was doing was sensory motor psychotherapy, because that's literally 30 days of training spread out over more than a year. And so much more in depth than what I did in level one of embodied recovery, which was three days a weekend, still a fabulous training, just that level one was not as in depth as the whole experience of doing level two of sensory motor psychotherapy. And the reason I'm saying that is because both of these definitely impacted me significantly in positive ways and in ways that didn't feel very positive, but I still feel were potentially healing. My health symptoms, which had been kind of latent, you know, seemingly latent. And I say that because the symptoms were there, but they weren't so pronounced that I had to do something to address them. It was more kind of this gradual change and these seemingly small things that when you put them all together, added up to big things. And I wasn't, I wasn't making any connections and my doctors weren't making any connections with the symptoms I was preventing, presenting, I wasn't even necessarily seeing them as symptoms. But they were adrenal and thyroid symptoms, inflammation symptoms. And doing the level two of sensory motor psychotherapy helped me to get so much more in touch with my body than I had been even after doing the level one, which kind of awakened a lot of pain and trauma that was in my body that was being held in my body, which is good because that was, you can't heal it if you don't know it's there. Of course it wasn't, it didn't feel too good. It wasn't enjoyable when that was happening. And a lot of what happened was emotional symptoms, but also physical. Because again, we're connected mind, body, and spirit. 
and my adrenal symptoms just really ramped up to the point that I had to do something. So through this process of doing these experiential trainings, I gained an increased connection with my own inner wisdom, which has been developing over the past, I'd say, five years. And I was basically forced to realize that I needed to focus on soothing my nervous system, helping my nervous system to be regulated. I mean, you can talk to yourself all day long and give positive self-talk and But if your nervous system is hijacked, you know, if your limbic system is activated because your body perceives a threat, even though your logical brain knows there isn't any threat, you're not in any danger. But if your body is reacting to a perceived threat, you have to do something to calm your body. And what I've found is that using the body to help the nervous system become regulated is the the key for me. With that said, I'm still doing, I'm going to my weekly talk therapy with my therapist. I'm still doing movement oriented things as much as possible. I'm, I'm coming at this from many different directions, but using the body to soothe the nervous system is the most effective thing that I've found when my nervous system gets hijacked. I'll talk more about that. This year, I've been forced to really practice being with what is, you know, and this is something that, of course, you've heard me talking about and I've been working on. But this year, facing this imminent death of an extremely important attachment figure, being with what is, and it wasn't the way I wanted it to be, but I had no choice. (laughs) You know, and my body was resisting, accepting what was happening, but it was happening. So you can either be there or be gone. I chose to be there. It was very painful, but there were many beautiful aspects of it as well. That theme, we will be talking about a lot more on the podcast in 2020. And um, there was a beautiful quote that one of my guests in an upcoming episode said when we were off offline, he said, sometimes your life is basically smashed into a million pieces and it can make a beautiful mosaic. I love mosaics so much. I mean, they're one of the most beautiful art forms to me. And that, that metaphor just really resonated with me. It's like, you think you know how things are going to be You want to feel that you have some control, at least in knowing what to expect. You know, I think what helps keep us going is that we can tell ourselves that we know what to expect and that helps us feel like we can tolerate the uncertainty of life. But that metaphor of your life being smashed into a million pieces, but then the pieces make up a beautiful mosaic. It's just, I love it. So there were some terrifying experiences and there were some experiences I had over this year that I was in no danger at all, but my nervous system felt like it had been smashed into a million pieces and all the little pieces were spinning through the air, just willy nilly. All the little pieces were spinning through the air, searching for some place to land and it felt like there was no bottom. There was no ground. That's when my therapist reminded me 
work on soothing your nervous system and the place, the pieces will have some place to land. Another metaphor I love is that, that concept of a soft place to land. And I really needed that this year. So I said I was going to talk about my health, but I'm alluding to the loss and grief piece a lot. So I will go into that. But for me this year, self-care took on a new meaning. As you know, I always talk about self-care, but it was different this year. My situation with my dying parent, which started in August, so it was almost the whole second half of the year that that was going on, forced me to have some realizations about the way I'm living my life. I realized that, and this came from my own inner wisdom. There was this whisper from inside of me that said, you don't have to work so hard. Even as I say that, there's a part of me that says, you don't work any harder than anyone else. But it's not about comparing myself to anyone else or comparing myself even to myself. It's about why do you work so hard? So hard. Like, what are you working that hard for? Does it have to be that hard? I think it doesn't. You know, I was talk about with trauma. I don't know how much I've said this here on the podcast, but I talk about this a lot with my clients that when your trauma gets activated, there's this sense of urgency. And I really feel that that sense of urgency is a trauma response. It's like something has to happen. Something needs to be done. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. You know, it's this pressure and pushing and pushing and pushing that comes from inside. Maybe it's a way to stave off anxiety or to give anxiety an outlet. Of course, those of us with childhood trauma typically run with a very high level of anxiety coursing through us all the time, which comes from that adrenaline and cortisol that's flooding our bodies that isn't supposed to be a constant. But when you've had chronic stress in childhood, it's just the way your body begins to operate is at this high level of constant cortisol and adrenaline coursing through you that doesn't really have a place to go. And a lot of times we just use the being busy to focus it or give it a something to focus on instead of what's really there, which is, you know, probably at least for me, when, when this is happening, it's a sense in, internally of the question, will I be safe? So that ties in with that feeling of needing to work so hard. And when I was faced with my parent, my parents' imminent death, I definitely, it was clear what really matters is not this. I mean, this, this podcast, I think it matters. The work I do with my clients, it really, really matters. It's important. I care so much about it. But this like forcing myself to just do more, 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 more is not what matters. What matters is deep connection with the people I care about. And, you know, I just kept saying to myself through August, September and October, why am I doing all this? Why am I doing all this? And again, when I say this, I don't mean the podcast specifically or my work specifically, but just this like pressure that I put on myself. When my parent was dying, I had to make a decision about whether or not to take a planned trip to Europe to spend time with 
one of my children who was studying abroad for the whole fall semester. By the way, I just have to laugh at myself, and I'm sure those of you listening can relate to this. My clients and I laugh about this frequently as well. When my parent was dying, I was also settling into a new, larger office space with a larger group of therapists working with me, sending off one of my children to go study abroad for four months and for us to be separated longer than we ever had. And, you know, right while all that was going on, it was like, you know what? Interest rates are low and they're saying there's a recession coming in the next couple of years. I think we need to buy another house right now. (laughs) And I'm laughing because it's like, I know that that just doesn't make sense. But we threw ourselves into it. We put our house on the market. Mainly my husband did so, 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 so much work to clear things out of our house and put them all in storage and all kinds of, you know, improvements and painting and all that stuff that needed to be done to get it ready to be put on the market. And we did put it on the market. We found another house we wanted. We threw ourselves into that. And it's like, there's a part of me that's like, this is crazy. This is not the right time to be doing this. But then again, even though someone I love was dying, life was still happening. My life didn't stop. And I didn't know when the person was going to die. So I couldn't just stop everything and just wait and then pick up life again when they passed. Also, knowing that once they did pass, I was going to have the real grieving process was just going to be starting. But nevertheless, threw myself into selling the house, buying another house. The house didn't sell. So now we're in a little hibernation period before we put it back on the market. And we're going to do some more renovations and hope that it'll go ahead and sell in the spring. But it's just, you know, I know my clients can relate to this, how when there's huge personal pain happening. Suddenly it's like, let's get a puppy. Let's, (laughs) I'm going to take on this home improvement project. I'm going to, suddenly I'm going to start a new business. You know, it's just like all these things that we do to kind of divert our attention from the pain. And that was definitely the case for me. I was focused on my child being in another country, my parent being near the end of their life, going back and forth and visiting. So I just had no time for anything. Still seeing clients, taking time off when I needed to for emotional reasons. But, you know, it was such a drawn out process from August to now that I, you know, I couldn't have just taken all that time off. And again, what, just sit and wait? It's just not feasible. Therapist. We've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. And it wasn't a situation where I was the caregiver for my parent to, you know, do their daily caregiving needs as they were going through the dying process. So, and they didn't want that. So there wasn't, there wasn't anything for me to do while I was waiting, but I felt like I was in suspended animation because it didn't feel like life could go on. And again, my younger parts wanted to know what's going to happen. What is this going to be like? You know, I really wanted to know, am I going to be okay? And how am I going to get through this? The answer is I just got through it by getting through each day (laughs) and being with what is. So in May of 2019, my practice moved into a larger office space. It has taken a lot of hard work to build the successful group practice that I have that's continuing to grow. And for more than four years, I've been working hard on this podcast, which I can't stand the thought of giving up. But I still was asking myself, why am I doing this? And what seemed so unclear before my parent got sick, before my parent got sick, I was like, I don't know how I can slow down. I don't know where I can pull back from all these things I'm doing. It just seemed impossible. And then when they got sick, it became, I got this clarity, like, you don't have to do everything. People can help you with stuff. And also that I'm not alone. I mean, of course, I have a supportive spouse and two great adult children who are still, you know, going through their early adulthood. But I have another parent and I have siblings. I have extended family, large group of friends, bunch of supportive colleagues, professional relationships that are friendships too. So one of the great lessons of this experience of facing down my parents' death was allowing myself to receive the support that was offered. And there was so much support offered. It was humbling. And I still don't like it when I think back on how I felt. I felt so, so vulnerable and so in need of caregiving. And I don't like that because we don't like feeling vulnerable. We don't like feeling that we need help. Well, maybe some people don't mind it, but I've never liked it. (laughs) And I think it's because when I was little and I needed help with my emotions, the caregivers I had didn't know how to do that because maybe nobody helped them with theirs. So it was kind of like for me with 2019, the first half of the year was getting my health managed. And the second half of the year was facing down this imminent death of one of my parents. The symptoms I was having, as I mentioned before, these kind of minor symptoms built up to a crescendo. And it really started in October of 2018, which is when you first probably heard me talking about it. The symptoms just really started ramping up and became intolerable. They reached a point where I really just couldn't take it anymore. I had very little energy, a lot of brain fog, fatigue, trouble sleeping. So as much as I felt exhausted and, you know, 
my body felt sluggish and hard to move. I also had a ton of trouble sleeping. I couldn't fall asleep. I would wake up multiple times during the night. And I was having these horrible, relentless hot flashes all day and all night. And my body was just becoming more and more bloated. I couldn't understand what was happening because sometimes I would look in the mirror and my body would look one way. And sometimes I would look and it would look completely different. And I was like, do I have body dysmorphic disorder? I don't understand. What am I seeing? And what is it? What's really there? What's the real picture? And I think part of that was because my, the bloating that I was having, my clothes would fit in the morning. And by evening, I'd feel like a sausage about to burst out of my skin. But I couldn't quite really tell like what was happening. And I didn't even, I began to not trust what I was seeing in the mirror. Like what's going on? And this isn't about like judging my body, body image, not measuring up to what, you know, our culture's standards are. This is about looking at my body and feeling like, is that me? This doesn't, my body doesn't normally look like this or feel like this. And I'm so confused. It just kept getting worse and worse. And I was going to my primary care who really had no, um, while being very empathetic with what I was going through, she had no help for me, no suggestions other than like, well, lose weight. And it's like, how can I lose weight? I can barely like get out of bed. So sluggish. And I, I feel exhausted when I exercise. I'm not overeating. That was the weird thing was that I, I wasn't doing anything different. And suddenly it was like my body just went haywire. My acupuncturist that I started going to was the one who really helped me kind of realize that these seem like adrenal symptoms and there are supplements you can take that will help. I started taking some of the supplements that my acupuncture acupuncturist recommended and did notice a change, but then there was like this I ran out of some of the supplements for a couple of weeks. And when I went back to taking them, the symptoms just completely came back full force and it didn't help at all. So then I was like, great, now what's going on? So I finally decided I'm going to go to an integrative physician because I want my, I want my primary care doctor to be aware of everything that's happening in my body in case I'm having some kind of chronic disease that's developing or cancer or something like that. I don't want to not know that that's being monitored or have, you know, one doctor who checks me out for those kinds of things. And then another set of providers who are doing a whole bunch of completely different stuff that my main doctor isn't really aware of or on board with. So then it becomes just like, you know, what I hear about all the time that patients use integrative treatments, but don't let their primary care physicians know about it. Or the primary care physicians don't support it. So the patients, you know, kind of do it on their own. And then there can be medication interactions and stuff like that. So I found a wonderful MD who's a, a physician, but uses an integrative approach. And she basically uses both traditional Western medicine practices and integrative and holistic practices. And I love her. I started going to her in February. She did a whole bunch of blood work. Of course, I'd had blood work with my primary care doctor that just didn't show anything significant enough for them to give any kind of treatment with. So even though my 
original primary care doctor knew I was having all these symptoms and how much distress it was causing me, she didn't know of any Western medical treatments that could do anything to help. So she just basically, like I said, she recommended I, quote, lose weight. So the panel that my integrative medicine doctor did in February revealed that I'm intolerant to both gluten and casein, which if you're not familiar with casein, I know everybody's heard about gluten, but casein is the protein in dairy. I'm intolerant to both of them, more so the dairy than the gluten. So once I saw in black and white on the test results that that was the case, I agreed to try cutting them out of my diet for 30 days to see what happened. You know, and I'm not into restricting. This was just probably, if anything, I was probably taking in more calories, but they just didn't include gluten or dairy. After 30 days, I felt so dramatically better that I did not want to go back to eating gluten and casein. So basically, you know, I thought I was going to feel really deprived, but I actually didn't want or crave those those foods. And I didn't eat any gluten or casein from May 1st until mid-October. And then in mid-October, that planned trip to Europe that I mentioned was happening. Um, so I had to ask myself, am I going to do this still, even though my parent is dying and they may die while I'm gone. And I did. I did still go. And that was also a diversion because I was so immersed in what was happening in Italy and not speaking Italian and figuring out all the things that we were trying to do, how to get around and everything that I could barely focus on what was happening with my parent. But I was getting updates. So if there was anything happening, I was being told. Um, so I wasn't completely out of that, but I also wasn't completely into it either. I was just living in my own life. And while I was there in Italy, I was like, I am not going to go to Italy and not have any pasta or pizza or cheese because that would just be for one thing, what would you eat? And secondly, you know, the whole experience of Italy involves food is a big part of it. Many people had told me that it's much easier to digest um, bread and pasta in Italy because the way they harvest their bread is different and there's not as much gluten in it. That's what people told me. I took some enzymes that would help me digest gluten and, and casein while I was there. I was there for two weeks, five days, four days of that was in France but the rest of the time was all Italy. And um, so I was able to enjoy many, many delicious foods there. But I will say, even though it may not have affected me as significantly as it might have if I had been here in the U.S. eating those foods, I still, it didn't feel too good. I mean, by dinner time most days, I could only eat a few bites of my meal before I would just become really full because I felt bloated from the the inflammation that it caused. One of the good things about being in Italy was that we walked about six miles a day, which was a lot more walking than I had been doing when I was here, as I have a pretty sedentary life being in therapy sessions all day long. And I have to make time for myself to move, which I wasn't doing that great about. But anyway, so even in Italy, where 
supposedly it's easier to digest those proteins, casein and gluten. I, um, or maybe not easier to digest them, but that there are less of them in the foods. Regardless, I was actually really happy to get back to eating no dairy, no gluten when I came home because my body didn't feel that good when I was eating them, even even in Europe. Maybe in really small amounts, it might have been okay, like two bites of pasta, not a whole pasta dish. But I don't know how it, I know it's possible, but it would have been extremely difficult for me to navigate that trip if I weren't eating them. So next time, if I spend more time in Tuscany, I think it's a little, a little easier. There are more foods that don't involve bread and pasta that are available. But anyway, I learned a lot there. So the brain fog, hot flashes and fatigue are gone. And I have energy. And I'm slowly building back my exercise routine. I really love kickboxing. And I also really love yoga and hiking. I don't like walking that much. It's kind of boring to me. But I do love being in nature. But for some reason, I struggle to make time for moving my body in those ways. It just seems like a chore. So in 2020, I plan to continue making time and space to move my body, but also to continue practicing using the body to help with nervous system regulation. And I'm realizing that I have to make more space to feed my creativity. So with that question of why am I doing this podcast Why can't I even think of giving it up? I just, you know, I always say to myself, why am I doing this? It takes so much time. What am I getting from this? Because I know I'm getting something out of it. I love doing it. But what is it? What am I getting? And part of it is that it nurtures my creativity. And that part of me needs to be nourished. I need that. But When I'm in that space of urgency and pressure and do more, do more, do more, do more, do more, it's like do more, feel less. There's no space for creativity because if you open up space for creativity, then you have to feel. If I open up space to feel, I might not be able to handle what comes up. And I think that's something that so many of us struggle with. In fact, it's just a cultural norm for us in the U.S. So in 2020, I am intending to make more space to feel my emotions, whatever they are. As therapists, we practice putting our emotions on the back burner. We're feeling them and we're checking in with ourselves, but anything that needs to be tended to has to wait. It's in, it's the therapy work is in service to the client. If I'm feeling something in a session that's overwhelming, it's not my turn to have that taken care of when we're in the session. Of course, if it's something that I have to take care of, I'm not going to dissociate from it because that wouldn't be safe for me or the client. But the way our work is structured, seeing clients all day, it's their emotions that are the focus, which is such a metaphor for those of us who as children learn to take care of everyone else's needs so that we could be sort of have an illusion of having our needs met through meeting other people's needs. So if you're a therapist, ask yourself, how does that show up in my life? Because I don't know exactly where it comes from, but it definitely shows up in my life. And when I'm less resourced, like I was during the time when my parent was dying, it's a lot harder to 
see that process playing out. By the way, have you read the book, You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb? Whether you're a therapist or not, that book is so good. I interviewed Lori recently and I talked with her. And in that interview, I talked about why I love that book so much. It relates to what I'm talking about right now. I'm a therapist and I'm a person. I think about my clients. I go to my own therapy. I think about my therapist. It all plays together and there's a ton of introspection and self-reflection going on at all times. But I want to create more space for those reflections to be expressed rather than just floating around in my head, coming up and then floating away or coming up and then being pushed away. Not intentionally, just automatically. And then they play in the background as I'm mindlessly scrolling through Facebook or Instagram. Have you ever done this where you're just like mindlessly looking at them and you're like, noticing, what am I looking for? What do I feel? What am I seeking right now? If you haven't ever reflected on that, I think it's a great thing to ask yourself. It's like that timeless question. What do I need right now? What need am I trying to get met by scrolling through Facebook? I've talked about it before, but for me so often, it's just a sense of like general anxiety, just kind of needing a place to direct it. But if I could really focus on what I'm feeling and do something with that, it would be a lot more beneficial to me. But just as I tell clients, I realize that this is also true for me. If I stay busy, there's less time to feel. Then it builds up and I either become exhausted or resentful or physical symptoms. So we're going to pause here for a minute so I can tell you a little bit more about therapy notes. And when we come back, I'll give you the rest of the story about what happened with my parent. And we'll talk about what's coming up in 2020 a little bit more concretely. So 2019 was quite a year of growth for me. In my previous experience with grief and loss, well, as I said, there have been many, many losses But my grandmother passed away in 2004, and she was an extremely important attachment figure for me, as she was for my three siblings as well. When she passed away, there was like a sense of completely giving up myself. All I wanted to do was be by her side. She had a very short period of time between when she was diagnosed with terminal cancer and when she passed away. It was only three weeks. So there was one week of kind of coming to terms with it together as a family, one week of helping her prepare for a graceful exit. And the third week was basically a vigil, being by her side waiting. So it was interesting that when one of my parents was found to be imminently dying, the vigil part was what really I was fighting with. I was fighting with this part of me that said, just just sit vigil, just wait, stop, don't do anything until they're gone. And again, there was another part of me that said, you can't do that. Your life is continuing. I think that's just an example of Certainly you would hope in 15 years in between the two events that you would have some personal growth. And there's no question that my grandmother's death was a 
very significant growth experience for me, although it was terribly painful. And the first probably three or four years after she passed were more a process of kind of spinning wheels, just trying to understand what to do without her. But it was also an opportunity to look at how I felt about death, to begin to understand more about what she was to me. I knew I valued her while she was living, but once she was gone, physically at least, it opened up some space to examine our family's relationships in a different way, including, I think, a necessary maturational process of taking her off of the pedestal that she had always been on my first, I guess, 33 years of life, that she was like a saint. (laughs) And of course she wasn't. She was just a person, someone who had her own pain and her very traumatic childhood and young adulthood and tried to make the best of things in spite of that. And once her physical presence was no longer available, she became an internalized source of wisdom and comfort for me, a resource inside of myself that I could connect with and draw from, which is a very special gift. She gave me, she gave me so many emotional gifts, including just her loving presence while our time on earth overlapped. (laughs) I had the least time with her of anyone in my family, but it was a very rich relationship that we had. A lot of what I understand about attachment comes from my relationship with my grandmother. And in a similar way, the experience of facing the mortality of one of my parents gave me a new understanding about how I want to be in relationship with both of them and with all of my family. There was an opportunity to speak things that had not been spoken, which was a precious gift, to tell each other how we really felt about each other, which for whatever reason, we both knew how we felt about each other, but we didn't say it the same way as we did when their death was imminent. And and there was a sense that this is the last chance to say this. So that was a precious gift from from this experience. And I think facing down my parents' mortality made me more firmly committed to how I want to show up in my relationships with each of them and with each of my other family members, rather than sort of this idea of there's a lot of unresolved stuff, but we'll deal with it one day before it's too late, which is kind of where I was before this came up in August. That shifted to a sense of really looking at both of them in the most fully compassionate way I ever have as two people who, just like I said about my grandmother, have their own histories that make them the way they are, filled with positive and negative experiences, traumas, met and unmet attachment needs. They definitely did the best they could with what they had to work with. And I don't know if I've been able to fully embody believing that before. There were moments when I could, but this this experience really gave me an opportunity to 
examine that in them and to see them as just the vulnerable people that they are just doing the best they can. Another thing I experienced through this process was allowing myself to fully feel in an embodied way, the grief and the pain and the fear, so much fear because blocking those feelings just gets in the way. For one thing, you know, they said this a bajillion times, that famous quote, what we resist persists, you know, what we push away, it doesn't go away. It just, you know, kind of builds up inside. So by allowing myself to feel it and in spite of the fear that it might take me away and I'll never be able to get back, allowing myself to feel it and really embody it, which means for me, I was having a full body grieving experience. For example, sobs that racked through my body in a almost like vomiting, but without any nausea or any retching, but just this from my pelvis to my mouth, like this contraction coming from the bottom up of emotion. It's really letting it out, not just quiet tears coming out of my eyes, but full body sobs, which I have not experienced as an adult. I don't know if I did as a child, but as an adult, I've not experienced that any other time except for when I did life force yoga training a couple years ago. In that experience, I had the same thing, which again was a great way to reconnect with my body and really become more integrated. So, and rather than being alone with the pain, I allowed my husband to support me in a way that I really hadn't allowed him to do before. I hadn't trusted him to do that before. And we've been married for like 24 years. So, I mean, if I don't trust him, I don't know who I do trust, but still there's an old story somewhere inside that says you're alone with your feelings. And the experience of allowing that embodied grief to move through and the pain to just be felt, but not being alone in it was a very transformative experience for me. I don't want to downplay how significant it was. I mean, it wasn't just like I don't talk about my feelings with my partner because I do. But this was something different. It was allowing myself to be held, witnessed, and supported in my deepest pain, trusting that he could handle it which was something that I had been a little bit hesitant to do with this kind of pain, I guess. I mean, I didn't know it until I made the decision to try allowing him to support me and he really came through and it was, it was a beautiful experience. I was sobbing so much that um, I, I looked in the mirror afterwards and I had a broken blood vessel in my eye, <laughs> but it went away the next day. So everything was okay. <laughs> It was a much, much needed catharsis. And then because the universe really has a sense of humor and things never go the way you think they will, even when you think you know, my parent didn't die. So I had these months of waiting, fearing, trying to make sense out of how my life was going to go forward without my parent. And then their health turned around and they didn't die and now they're no longer imminently dying, although we're all going to die. I will have to live without this parent and my other parent. 
I don't know when it's going to happen. It could be five minutes from now, or it could be 20 years from now. I don't know. And so again, that need for being with what is, not knowing. And yet this experience, which brought us closer together, really did involve a a great amount of loss too. And the loss part isn't over. So my parent is not the same as they were before all this happened. And that's a loss. And my sensitive nervous system still wants to make sense out of what's happening and to know, will I be safe? And where's the ground? All those pieces settled into a mosaic, but I think it's more like, (laughs) in this case, rather than being a mosaic, it's like the sand that the Zen Buddhists make into mandalas. And then when they're finished, they blow it all away because that's the impermanence of everything that I'm being reminded again and again and again and again and again. Everything I think I know about how life works is constantly being upended. Maybe I should just stop trying to figure it out. (laughs) But there's that small part of me inside, a younger part that just wants to know what's the order? How does this work? What's going to happen? And will I be safe? So I hope that hearing about my experiences with my health and my grief and loss this year have given you something to think about. As always, my, my clients are teaching me so much. The themes that I'm dealing with are themes that they're dealing with. And we're basically muddling through this life together, me on my journey and they on theirs. And I walk alongside them on their journeys and their journeys inform mine. So last thing for this week's episode is that I just want to talk to you about what's going to be coming up because as we just reflected on, I like to know what's going to happen. So maybe you do too. (laughs) Of course, this can change because of the impermanence. But in 2020, I am intending to bring in-person events around the country and maybe around the world. I don't know, probably not in 2020 to do anything internationally, but definitely around the U.S. I'm thinking of having in-person events in Colorado, Chicago, Austin, Philadelphia, Baltimore, maybe New York and California, but I'm not sure about those two. I've got ideas for bringing you in-person events that will include CEUs for therapists and opportunities for trauma case consultation masterclasses. I'm also going to be hosting at least one, maybe two or three in-person Daring Way intensives for therapists. The first one will be in Baltimore. A date will be to be determined, but it'll be a three-day Daring Way intensive using the work of Brene Brown focused on vulnerability and addressing the impacts of vicarious trauma in our work. So if you're interested in any of these events, there will be much, much, much more information to come about those soon. And 2020 is the year that I'm finally going to get serious about courses. The research that I did with your help in 2019, let me know that people are really wanting me to do a course on healing from sexual trauma for survivors and a course on for therapists on helping 
survivors of sexual violence to heal from their trauma. So look for those in 2020. And that is all going to be shared with you through the email list. And here you'll be hearing about it. And like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Patreon members will get early access and um, opportunities for special add-ons. So for example, if we have a a face-to-face event, we might have a special gathering just for Patreon members who attend. So it'll be smaller, more intimate. Um, And as always, I'd love to hear from you what you want to know more about in 2020. Upcoming episodes, like I mentioned, I've got the interview with Lori Gottlieb. Um, There's going to be another interview about dissociation coming up very soon, next couple weeks. Got one on animal-assisted psychotherapy coming up. And as I mentioned, more on grief and loss, including when the therapist becomes ill. And that's from both the therapist's perspective and the client's perspective. In 2020, I intend to resume training in life force yoga. It was such a personally enriching experience and enhanced my practice, but I really want to go back in and get more training so that I can really more fully implement this into my work with clients. Um, I did bring it back to my work, but I'd like to do it in a more embodied way. So I guess the word for 2020 is embodied. (laughs) You know what? Embodied acceptance, writing that down. Another thing I intend to do in 2020, if the stars align, I plan on doing level three of sensory motor psychotherapy training. That's the certification level. So if I'm able to complete that, then I would be a certified sensory motor psychotherapy practitioner. One more thing that I would love your support with for 2020 is if you know of any potential sponsors that you would like to see sponsoring Therapy Chat. Therapy Notes is our wonderful annual sponsor, and I'm very grateful for them. And I'd like to add one more monthly or annual sponsor, ideally annual, because then that's the easiest way for everyone. But, you know, monthly sponsorship is available as well. And I'm looking for goods and services that relate to mind, body, and spirit, holistic practices, integrative health, trauma. And, you know, it has to be the types of goods and services that I believe have integrity. Obviously, I'm not going to accept any sponsorship that I don't think would be beneficial to the audience or a product or good that I don't think is genuine. You know, I think that goes without saying, but um, if you have products and services you love that you would like to suggest, I pursue as sponsors for the podcast, I'd love to hear what they are. You can always leave me a message on SpeakPipe by going to the website and clicking on the SpeakPipe link. And I love getting those messages. I can hear you so clearly. And sometimes I respond back with my voice or sometimes I just take the information and either use it on the episodes or play it on the episodes sometimes. So I'm grateful to all of you who use that option. But you can also email me at therapychat.podcast at gmail.com. Therapy Chat's going to get a overhaul of its website in 2020 as well. 
make it more functional. So look for that. So a lot of big things happening in 2020. And those are just the intentions that I've come up with so far, but I'm sure many more things will pop up as, as we go through the year. So I just like to end today's episode by sending you an intention. This is a mantra that you've probably heard me use before and speak about, but it's always um, a place that I like to return to, a soft place to land, if you will. And that is the Meta M-E-T-T-A, loving kindness mantra. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be kind to yourself. May you be free from suffering. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be kind to yourself. May you be free from suffering. And I'm going to turn it inward. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be kind to myself. May I be free from suffering. And then for all beings, may all beings be safe. May all beings be happy. May all beings be kind to themselves. May all beings be free from suffering. Om Shanti Shanti Peace. Happy New Year. And I will catch you next week. We have a replay episode combining the last four conversations about dissociation. So it's a big, long episode that builds on itself. And then the following week, we'll have that new interview about dissociation that I mentioned. Can't wait to share that with you. And until then, be well. Thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, Supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, therapy chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.